This morning's reading will come from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 9 through 12. In the Pew Bible in front of you will be found at page 1050. 1050. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another, and indeed you do so toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more, that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk properly towards those who are outside, that you, and that you may lack nothing. encouragement to us, and uh, we hope and pray that we can be an encouragement to you also. As a woman was tailgating a man, he decided to stop for the yellow light. After all, he would have to accelerate to run through it, and he felt that wouldn't be right, and so he did. But as he did, the lady behind was very stressed. She began to honk the horn and even shake her fist at him and even cursed out of the open window at him. Just a few seconds later, she was surprised to see that there were blue lights in her rearview mirror. And then there was an officer, not only there at her window, but had the gun drawn. She was quite offended that there was a pistol in her face. She was told immediately to get a registration, her license. His partner went back and ran all of those and came back to hand them back to her. She demanded an explanation for this, cursing and swearing even again. And then he said, you know, ma'am, in our line of work, all we can do is go on the evidence that is before us. And when I came up behind you, I heard what you were saying to the driver. I could hear your horn. I could see your attitude. But yet, I also could see your bumper sticker, follow me to Sunday school. I could see your chrome fish that you had on the back trunk. I could see your other... Uh, bumper sticker that said, choose life. I saw also the little decal in your window, WWJD, what would Jesus do? He said, now with all that evidence, you understand naturally, I suppose that your car was stolen. This morning, I want you to think about what kind of evidence do we leave for the world around us? Out of all the things that we talk about when we talk about evangelism, as we talk about capturing the hearts of those in our community, perhaps it's either a given or maybe it's something that we don't ever think about. But whichever way it is, it's interesting that Paul thinks about it and writing by inspiration, he addresses it very straightforward. In other words, this was the man that was going about and turning the world upside down was the reputation that he had as he entered into Thessalonica. Now, we know that really what he was doing was giving people a 180 degree turn from taking the world upside down to right side up in Jesus Christ. And so now he's thrilled to know that those of Thessalonica are still doing that. But he also knows that the church has a mission and the mission is always to reach out to those in the community. And the text that was so capably read, I'd like for you to look at it again. As we look at this slide, I want you to notice especially verse 12. Especially notice verse 12. As he says, 
that you may walk properly toward those who are outside and that you may lack nothing. Now that's interesting as he says and relates the instruction that he's just given about their love and the way they're to live their life on a daily basis. He says, I want you to live that life in a certain way so that you can have a certain effect on those that are on the outside. In other words, the Lord intends for you and I to live our daily life. As another translation would say, that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders. I want you to think on that for just a moment. Let that sink in because that really is the thrust of the entire lesson this morning. That your daily life may win the respect of those who are on the outside. Have you won the respect of your neighbors? If not, could there be any excuse that would stand before God where He would say, Oh, that's all right. I wouldn't expect you to live a Christian life before them. Have you won the respect of your peers at at work or at school? Or have you used excuses that even would stand before God where God would say, Oh, sure, I didn't really expect you to live the Christian life before them. What about strangers in a mall or even on a busy road? Have we won their respect that there is truly something different about us? Friends, I can't ever expect to be a part of a growing congregation, one that is reaching out to the community, if that congregation is not made up of individuals that live that life on a daily basis. Folks do, want, do not want to step out of a world that is confused and rude and hateful to a place that is made up of individuals that are confused and rude and hateful. And so it is. We have a wonderful challenge from God this morning. It's a challenge where really the Lord is asking all of us to be involved in evangelism. And He says, I just want you to think about the way you rub shoulders, the way you interact with everybody on a daily basis. Let's go back and see these few verses again. If you'll remember last Sunday morning, we looked at the first eight verses of of this chapter, the fourth chapter. Remember, he was dealing with the holy way that we are to possess our body. And now he immediately moves from the topic of holiness to love. If you'll remember at the end of the third chapter, he had a prayer for them. He did the same thing in his prayer when he prayed for them. He prayed for their love and he also prayed for the holiness that they were to exhibit in their life. And other the love that they would exhibit to one another and the holiness they would exhibit in their own life. And now he addresses this in the fourth chapter. Let's possess our vessel in a holy fashion, but let's never forget the love that we are to have to one another. Let's go back and read this again in 9 and 10. Notice this as we especially see in verse 9. But concerning, in other words, Paul says, there's something I want to address again concerning brotherly love. You have no need that I should write to you for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed you do so. And we'll read verse 10 more in just a moment. Isn't this interesting how many times in this series that we have been looking through first Thessalonians, we've talked about love. It's because it continually is a topic for those young Christians where Paul is wanting them to mature, not only in the faith, but he also wants them to mature in love. Again, note, it is concerning brotherly love. He's talking about that Philadelphia, that brotherly love, that fraternal love, where individuals... Now note this, this is, this is interesting. 
The highest love is agape, and it is the love that God had for us in sending His Son. It's unconditional. It's sacrificial. It's where an individual says, I'm going to make a decision. I'm going to make a commitment to treat someone else as God would want me to treat them. I'm going to do what's right and best for another. Now, let's just say that you step out in faith and you say, Lord... I'm going to agape you, and I'm going to agape myself, and I'm going to agape others. Well, that's going to make you very different from the world. The world doesn't love their enemies. The world doesn't return agape to a neighbor that's hateful. The world doesn't return agape to a co-worker that's difficult. So see, that makes you stand out alone. But then notice this. You find a Christian friend. They too have stepped out of the world and into agape love. They too love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. They too love their neighbor as their self. They too practice this agape. And you know what immediately happens? There's a bond there. We feel real comfortable together because we're living the same life. It's like being in a large room and for some reason you don't know exactly why, but you feel real comfortable visiting with this particular individual. And before long, you find out that there are things of common interest. And so when it's time to sit down, would you like to sit? Let's eat together. Why? Because you feel comfortable with this individual. Now, when we think about sharing the world with the population about us, do you feel comfortable with your brothers and sisters? That's what the brotherly love is referring to. It's the fact that we share in something together and we relate to each other and we love and support each other. And we find great comfort and great support in that. But where does this come from? Notice in the middle of verse 9. He says, I didn't have to write this to you. Now, it could be that Paul's saying this. And you know, sometimes I really believe Paul puts a little play on words to give dual meanings. I really believe this is one of those times. These individuals were doing a good job at loving one another. So when he says, I don't have to write this to you, that's the first thing that comes to mind. Oh, well, they're doing a good job. He doesn't have to address this. But he just said, now concerning brotherly love. So you kind of scratch your head there and say, no, wait a minute. He said, I don't have to write this. But he just said, I'm going to write this. And then he says, I don't have to write it because this is taught by God. In other words, if you truly are a child of God, you already know about this. We don't have to have some man to come in and tell us, I think maybe God would want us to love one another. Let me see how we would do that. All we have to do is learn about God, and we will learn about loving one another. Let's go to 1 John, the fourth chapter. And if I'm not mistaken, even in this series, we've looked at this text before. But since it is in this paragraph again, it's so important that we develop this as we move a little deeper into this thought as it relates to those in Thessalonica. But look in 1 John, the fourth chapter. I'd like for you to just consider how... It was important to Paul for him to bring it up again. And then once he brought it up again, he wanted to remind them, this isn't just man's philosophy. We are taught by God to do this. And so let's read verse 19, 20, and 21, 1 John, the fourth chapter. We love him because he first loved us. We see the love that God has for us, and we love in return because He's taught us about this God. Another passage here in John would say, for He is love. Now let's read 20. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother. See how this relates back to what we're talking about in Thessalonica? Where he says we're taught of God about brotherly love. And so if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar for he does not love his brother whom he has seen. How can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment. Now, what was it Paul said? 
Paul said, God's taught you about this. How did God teach it? God expressed it to us. He showered this love upon us. And so we are recipients of His love. We learn from His example of His love. And then to make it just real clear, God says, I've also talked to you about this love. This is a commandment. And let's read this commandment, 21. This commandment we have from Him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Brotherly love. If we love God, it is a commandment. We must love our brother. Now, aren't you so glad that there's a parenthetical phrase there that says you must love your brother that's lovable? Do you notice that in that text? Isn't that really neat? That there's some brothers you don't have to love. You only love those that love you in return. I know, I see you looking. It's not there, is it? It's not in there. It says, love your brother. That's right. The brother that is hard to get along with. What does God want us to do? He wants us to return agape to that brother. I'm still going to do what's right and best for that brother if I love God. Because if I love God, I'm going to return that same love that I have learned from Him, that I have been commanded from Him, that I have received from Him to my brothers and sisters in Christ. And let's face the facts. I'm not saying this to be humorous. Some brothers and sisters are easier to love than others. Some are more difficult to love. But friends, I don't ever have an excuse to not love the brethren. And so he's speaking here of something that is just part of the nature. Part of the nature of God. God is love. And people that belong to God love I want you to think with me for just a moment. If we were to think about a hawk and think about a baby hawk in the nest and and that baby hawk is, is pushed out of the nest by its parents, why does that hawk just immediately fly? You know the answer to that is because that's in the nature of hawks to fly. You could take that baby hawk out of the nest and you could push it underneath the water and it wouldn't swim, it would drown. You can take young fish and no one has to teach them how to swim. It's in the nature for them to swim. What if I become a child of God and I take upon myself the nature of God's children? Friends, I need to let this hit me to my very heart. If I'm struggling with loving each other, I'm struggling with having the nature of God's family. God's family loves each other. Now, note with me if you will. Let's go back to 1 Thessalonians. Still thinking about this love because if you'll notice in the text that we're reading, 1 Thessalonians 4 and 9, he also said at the end of verse 10, 9, he's speaking about loving one another. And he continues this in verse 10. And notice he said, and indeed you do so toward all the brethren who are in all of Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. Now, this is significant in this text, how it is emphasized over and over. If you have your Bibles open, turn back to 1 Thessalonians, the first chapter in verse 3. Or you'll see it on a slide. 1 Thessalonians, the first chapter in verse 3. Remember when Paul writes here, he's looking back having 
fled from those individuals. Keep in mind, he was being persecuted, so he had to leave them once they were converted, shortly after their conversion. And he wanted to write back in order to encourage them. And notice what he said in verse 3. 3 is on your screen. I'm going to go ahead and read verse 2. He says, We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. What is it that he mentioned in the prayers that he was so thankful for them? And he says in 3, Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, See, that was one of the things he always wanted to encourage them in. Grow your faith. Grow your faith. Be active in your faith. But notice the second one that comes up over and over as Paul deals with them. Labor of love. What did he remember about them? He remembered their faith. But he also remembered their labor of love. Now, we've been talking about that if we're going to be God's children, we have to love each other. Here's another point that we need to relate to this. It's not cheap love. It's not talk only. It's not the idea, well, I just say a warm thing every now and then, and I've practiced all the love that God wants me to have. God wants us to have a sacrificial love for each other, a love that serves each other, a love that washes each other's feet, so to speak, from John the 13th chapter, as Jesus served those individuals, being the one sitting at the highest place of position when the Passover feast was being celebrated. He left that highest place of position as the one leading that Passover feast to going around and doing the lowest thing in that room that would have been of a lowly servant of washing their feet. He gets up from that and he says, a new commandment that I've given to you that you love one another as I have loved you. What did he just do? He just washed their feet. He's on his way to the cross. Love one another as I have loved you. And by this, may all men know that you are my disciples. Now, what are we talking about here in 1 Thessalonians? We're talking about how we can win the respect of our neighbors. And what did the Lord say? The way you and I love each other will help win the respect of neighbors. Friends, if neighbors see you and I mistreating each other, why would they ever want to be a part of us? Now, as we look at this, he looks back and with great thanksgiving, he says, I've seen your labor of love. And writing on further in the first chapter, he says, I've seen the way that you've affected Macedonia and Achaia and all around. But you remember in the third chapter when he he just couldn't wait to hear from Timothy, how are things going there? What are they like now? Are they growing? Are they maturing? Look at verse six. You remember when Timothy came back, he says, has come from us to uh, from you. To us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love. Good news of faith and love. Do you think it's important? Of course it is. See how many times it's being mentioned? But now we see something interesting. When we see the prayer at the end of the third chapter, and I don't think we have this on the slide, but I want to mention it to you as a way to emphasize the next verse that we'll look at. The prayer at the end of the third chapter, if you look at verse 12, he says, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you. Here's individuals. He says, you know what I'm thankful for? I'm thankful you labor in love. You know what I'm thankful for? I'm thankful that Timothy's brought back a message that you're increasing in love. Well, now we would expect him to say a prayer and say, Lord, I'm thankful that they're doing great in love. He doesn't say that. He says a prayer and says, Lord, It's my prayer that they will abound and increase more and more. Now, wait a minute. They're doing great and you want them to do even more? 
When it comes to love, he says, yes, I want you to do even more. Look again at the end of the 10th verse here in our text of 1 Thessalonians, the 4th chapter. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. And the increase he's speaking of is the love that they have for one another, the brotherly love. To bask in our minds of the memory of love that we have shared with each other is never enough. What am I doing today to prove that I love the brethren? What am I doing today to prove that I love the growth of seeing more souls added to the Lord's kingdom? You know, it's interesting to me that he made such a strong request in this short book of 1 Thessalonians, praising them for their love, but over and over saying, you must increase, you must abound. Turn with me, if you will, to 2 Corinthians, the 8th chapter, and let's see him talk about these same people of Thessalonica again. In 2 Corinthians, the 8th chapter, now this would have been written a few years after First and Second Thessalonians. And so the reason I want us to turn here is I want us to just look and see, okay, He urged them over and over. You're doing great, but do more. You're doing great, but do more. Well, did they do more? Did they reach out to other brethren beyond Macedonia? Because that's where they were. In Macedonia, that was the region in which Thessalonica was. And so we read in 2 Corinthians, the 8th chapter, and read with me, if you will, beginning at verse 1. And by the way, this is the setting where there was a church, the church in Jerusalem was going through the famine. Paul was urging churches to participate in collecting relief that he could take down to the brethren there. And notice what he says about those of Macedonia, which is also going to refer to the region in which Thessalonica is. Verse 1, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. The grace here is talking about the gift. Using the word grace is gift. The gifts that God has bestowed in Macedonia. That in great trial of affliction. Well, you remember? That's the way they were converted. They were converted under great affliction. And so he's saying now, years later, the affliction just continues. But notice what else they have. They have abundance of their joy. And their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. And then he says, let me be a witness to something here. Verse 3. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. What were they doing? They actually went to Paul and said, you didn't ask us. And you can imagine what's implied here. Paul was saying, well, I thought you guys were in such deep poverty. Why would we ask someone in deep poverty to help a church at Jerusalem that because of famine is in deep poverty? They begged, let us be a part of this. We want to help. And Paul says, I stand as a witness. Those people reached down in their poverty and they gave generously to the cause of their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. Friends, we can never bask on past accomplishments and say, look at what we've done in the past years on mission trips. Look what we've done in past years in in helping orphans. Look what we've done in past years of reaching out to the community of Mount Juliet. Friends, those things can never be hitching posts to where we say, look at the love that we've shared for people in the past. 
If we are not sharing the love today, the love is gone. And so the plea that Paul makes, makes sense. Yes, you've done great in the past. Now abound in it more and more. I want to beg you. We're halfway through 2006. If you've been using in your mind the excuse of, look at the great things that that I've done in past years, and, and you haven't really reached out to a neighbor. You haven't reached out to a brother or sister. You haven't served lately. I want to remind you, love of Christ must be alive today. Or we have failed to be what God designed us to be. Now, let's look at the rest of this text. If we go back to our text in 1 Thessalonians 4th chapter, notice verse 11 and 12. He says that you also aspire to lead a quiet life. In other words, if we are going to live so that our daily life wins the respect of others, one of the things he says I want you to do is I want you to aspire. To aspire to be something is one that seeks or searches out diligently to become something. So he says, I want you to be diligent about this. What is it? I want you to aspire to be quiet. The quietness here does refer in one sense to silence. In another sense, it refers to tranquility. It refers to peace. Notice this, how this is directly related to whether or not we're going to win the respect of our neighbors. In other words, there's people out in the community that work beside you. They live beside you. They are your friends. And you know what? If you have a hectic, out-of-control life, and this isn't, this isn't me, this is the Lord that wrote this. If you have a hectic and out of control life, you're not going to win the respect of your neighbors. In other words, they're not going to say, I'd love to be a Christian. Every time I see them, they're running in circles. Wow, I'd like to be a part of a group like that that never relaxes. I'd like to be a part of a group like that, that that their life is always in turmoil. Every time you talk to them, they're bickering with one of their family members. They're bickering with somebody up there at church. They're always disagreeing with somebody. Oh, I'd love to be a part of those people. I'd love to argue and fight. Can you imagine that? No wonder God says, I want you to win the respect of your neighbors. Now, aspire. Set it as something that you say, I am going to achieve this. I'm going to live a quiet life. But notice the second thing. Not only the quiet life, but he says as we read further in verse 11, to mind your own business. Some in this room would be in a good habit of minding their own business. I would guess that there would be others in this room that are in the bad habit of minding other people's business. I thought it was interesting to type this in on Busybody on dictionary.com and and just learn a little bit about the word busybody. And you know, there, there were some synonyms that really helped me to understand maybe what the Lord was talking about when He talks about people do not win the respect of others when they're busybodies. One of the synonyms is backseat driver. Are you humble enough that you can give up control? Well, now, now that's just not me. Okay, you're saying you're a busybody then. 
Well, you know what? That doesn't win respect. When you can't let someone do their job and you do your job, that's a busybody. That's exactly what the Lord is talking about right here. And it doesn't win the respect of others. No neighbor is impressed with Christianity when they see a busybody that claims to be a Christian or one that eavesdrops. If you're walking through the workplace and and you overhear something, do you slow down even more so that you can overhear more? That's busybodies. Love to listen in. Love to read other people's mail. Love to, to walk into people's rooms or private places and look at everything. Wins no respect with others. It works against evangelism. Gossips. Think how much destruction has been done through busybodies that use their tongue to gossip. Tail bears, every time they come, they have a bad tale to tell on someone else. Never on their self. You see, when we think about what the Lord says about evangelism, maybe it comes as a surprise to me today that the Lord says, you know, if I'm a nosy person, I've just worked against God in trying to reach out to the community around me. When I think about the danger of the tongue, I think about it's somewhat interesting, humorous, sideline story, but wow, if a bird can do it, think of the damage that humans can do. Back about four or five years ago, there was a court case in China where a woman wanted to divorce her husband, and she said that he was having an affair when when questioned in the court about the proof. They had a, a little bird that could talk in the house. And all the woman knew was that every time the phone rang in recent times, the bird would say, I love you, be patient, divorce. And so the woman naturally assumed this bird is repeating the things that this bird has heard. And this bird is conditioned that they always hear these things after the phone rings. Now, it would be easy to say maybe that bird was... Right? Maybe that bird was wrong. But think of the damage that's been done in that relationship just because of the words of a bird. But think about the damage that's done in relationships by the words of individuals that can't mind their own business. Individuals that honestly believe that it's their place to be involved in everyone else's life. You know, in 1 Peter, the fourth chapter, in verse 15, we say a powerful passage. Uh, look in First Peter the fourth chapter in verse fifteen. He's talking about <clears throat> the trials that are going to go through, starting back in verse twelve, and finally in fifteen he says, "But let none of you suffer as a murderer, as a thief, as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters." And he'll write on to say, "Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God." Now, isn't it interesting that we look at this list, and some people would say, "I can't believe that God listed a busybody along with a murderer and a thief and a." An evildoer. I guess God thought that that was a good list because busy bodies, they kill a lot of good spirits. They steal a lot of peace and happiness and they're definitely involved in some of the greatest evil that can be done because they don't care about the lives and the encouragement of others. They're out to destroy others. And notice, they're going to suffer But he says, I'd rather you not suffer like that. I'd rather you suffer as a Christian. Now, we'll mention the other and close. As we go back to our text, you'll notice at the end of, or through verse 11, he says, not only 
to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, but he says to work with your own hands. You see, some of them were so excited about Christianity that they apparently stopped working physically. And now they were having to go and let other people feed them, let other people provide for them. Later on in 2 Thessalonians, he says, if you're not going to work, you shouldn't eat. You see, the point is this. When I go out and I make an honest living to provide for my family, I'm making a good case, a good foundation for evangelism. Because I've invested my life in some things that the Lord says will bring the respect of others. Friends, this morning, I want to ask you, and we need to do this all of our life, But as we think about developing good habits, I want to ask you, will you for this week really hold yourself accountable? And will you ask yourself each day, have I done something that proves that I love the church? I love my brothers and sisters in Christ. Have I lived in such a way today that I've lived a quiet life? I haven't complained and bickered and created turmoil in anybody else's life. Instead, I've minded my own business. I've gone out and I've made an honest living. There may be some that would say, that's too simple when it comes to evangelism. Friends, I don't suggest to you that's all there is to it. But from the Word of God, He would say, that is the way to win the respect of those that are on the outside. This morning, how are you living? Are you walking your life for the Lord? If you've never been baptized in Christ for mission of sins, won't you do that this morning? Or if you have been baptized in Christ, but yet you've had something to separate you from God, won't you confess that and repent of it and come back and let's pray forgiveness. If we can help you in any way, let's leave here this morning walking the life. Stand.